When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another week, another edition of the Waiting for Next Year podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Bloha, with you once again, Seth Wanamaker, on the most boring Cavs Weekly podcast name in the history of Cavaliers podcast, but here we are. Um, yeah, we're here, like usual, talking Cavs, talking Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, the rest of the wine and gold, recapping this past week. Unfortunately, we have to talk about last night's game against the Lakers. Look ahead to the final ten games of the regular season. The most one of the most important games of the season in Toronto Thursday night, and just talking all things Cavs. Seth, welcome. How's it going? Looks like you are back, not in a hotel again, second straight week. That's I always love to see that. How's everything going? It's going great. They tried to make me go back to Columbus. I said no, I can't go. There's too much, too much uh, riding on the line here, and I got to get to a Cavs game. So I said, nope, staying local, staying up in Northeast Ohio. I'm doing great, man. Last night was rough in terms of the Laker game, but the past four games that that we have to talk about tonight, there's some really great stuff that came out. And uh, talking about the macro a little bit, there's some really fun stuff I'm excited to get into. So doing great. I'm ready for these last 10 games. I'm so excited to see what's coming up. Like you said, huge game on Thursday night against the Raptors. And man, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. How are you? I'm lovely besides that game last night. Although watching LeBron be great is it. I, I know he was on the opposing team, but it's just like something about just watching him do whatever he wants on a basketball court. Yeah, I know he got a triple-double. He dominated the Cavs once again. It seems like he's been doing that ever since he left Cleveland the first time. And just I, it's, I wish the Cavs still could have found a way to win while watching LeBron be great. Yeah, it, it was to our advantage for so many years just watching him like bounce off of defenders. And poor, poor Laurie, man. Like this guy's got to guard Embiid, and then they're gonna go ask him to check LeBron James, who's just <laughs> tactician in terms of getting a guy on his hip and bullying him to the rim. I'm <laughs> in, in the past week, hasn't he guarded Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, and now LeBron? Like, I I know the Cavs want Jared Allen back, but I'm pretty sure Lowry might want him back even more. He's he's a guy. I didn't sign up for this shit. I'm supposed to be a three point specialist. You guys got me guarding these guys. What the hell. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean him. I guess. LeBron is just a matchup nightmare, though. I mean, Isaac, he just said post him up every time. Lowry, he said take him off the dribble. But, all right, so we won't talk too much about last night's game because that was ugly. I mean, we enjoyed watching LeBron. Most of the Cavs fans did, let's be honest. It, it seemed as though the Cavs players did as well because they didn't really show much defensively. They showed, like, no energy and just – let LeBron do whatever he wanted. Seemed like they enjoyed watching him more than playing against him. But besides that game, we're going to throw that game. Uh, th- that that game's film is in the trash because that was a trash game. Um, at Philadelphia last Wednesday, the night after we podcasted last week, 118-114, or versus Philadelphia, my bad, 118-114. I, I'll be honest, I don't remember much about that game besides the fact that Joel Embiid 
was Joel Embiid. I think the Cavs had a lead late, gave it up. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. So, oh, no, if you want to talk about that game specifically. Just really quick, that was a game where it was Embiid's birthday, and he was kind of a late questionable, so we weren't clear if he was going to play or not. And it was like, okay, great opportunity for the Cavs to go in and get a win. Of course, Embiid plays, and he was just a monster. I think he had 35-17. and You were right. That was the game where the Cavs outscored – the Sixers, it was 31 to 13 in the third quarter. Absolutely, you know, dominated them in the third. And then the Sixers came out and outscored the Cavs by nine in the fourth. And Maxi went bonkers. So that, you know, Embiid obviously had a monster game, but Maxi's a tradition, isn't it? Oh, he's a maniac. I think it's only against the Cavs, but he's a monster against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, yeah, he really is. I mean, he's like uh, all, if he could play the Cavs 82 games a year, he might be in the running for the MVP. And it's like it's very popular to give you know credit for you know obviously offensively, but man, there were a couple of times in that game where Maxi was just doing some nasty stuff to Garland. Like he he was putting Garland into some tough spots on the defensive end, and he was bullying him a little bit. That that was a tough game. You know, it's just a bad. It's a it's just a tough matchup, specifically without Jared Allen. Cavs are going to have have a tough time winning that game. Hats off though. They they came back down a lot at halftime, had a monster third. They, they made a good game out of it. So I was somewhat impressed, even with like a slight moral victory, I guess you could call it, with that loss. So the Cavs started off this this recap with a loss. They ended it with a loss. But the two games between those two losses were certainly good. Uh, big win over Denver, 119-116 in overtime. I'm, they came I forget what they were down in like the third or fourth quarter, but it was a huge comeback. The, it's one of those things where like this Cavs team just never gives up at times. And that was one of those games. And then they answer that by another comeback. I mean, Detroit looks like they had the game in hands. It was on the second night of a back-to-back for Cleveland. And they had two big comebacks at home to secure. A, I Two and two doesn't sound too great, especially when the losses against the Lakers in a game they should have won. But I will take two and two. I know we'll talk about the final 10 games of the season. I'll take five and five, the final 10 as well. Just 500 ball. I know the Cavs have been struggling lately. They were playing a lot better than 500 ball, but just play me five. Give me 500 ball the rest of the season going in the playoffs. But yeah, they took care of business. Two and two, two big comebacks against Denver and Detroit. Any any uh, thing you want to say about those two games? Yeah, 500 ball puts them at 46 wins, which is just insane to say out loud. Um, yeah, almost we- double, almost double, almost what double. Vegas projected. We hit the over on that one in January, which is just awesome. <laughs> over 26 and a half. Um, yeah, just from my end, really quick. I thought the Nuggets win. I put this in the Discord. I thought the Nuggets win was probably the best victory the Cavaliers have had since late January when they uh, beat the Milwaukee Bucks by, I think, 15 or 16. Going back through, I mean, it was just impressive how they battled back, you know, severely under man. I know the Nuggets have some critical guys out too, but you know, the Nuggets are playing really good ball. Like they're, they're third, fourth, fifth seed right now in the West. Uh, and Lowry, I mean, he just, he was on fire. I think he scored 31 points. Uh, what was really impressive to me was what the Cavaliers did in the fourth quarter in and overtime. So they were, Cavs were down uh, almost double digits in the fourth quarter. They ended up outscoring the Nuggets 41 29 in the fourth quarter in and in overtime. So just an incredible game and, and big shout out to Lowry and them. 
to your point, the Pistons game just felt kind of funky. Like you kind of thought that they would be tired. Um, the Pistons are like sneaky playing some better ball. Sadiq Bay just dropped a 50 burger the other night. Cade has really started to grow into his own. And so I was, I was personally thinking that was actually going to be kind of a tough game to win. And, uh, they battled back and that, that was one of the games where against the Pistons where like everyone kind of chipped in. I think there were six guys in double figures. So you got your good game from Osmond and Love and Lowry and even Lavert, I think, had a decent game, Darius. So I, I love those games. It kind of brought me back to, you know, early on in the season when, you know, six or seven guys were scoring in double figures every single game. It kind of brought back some of the fun. So, yeah, like you said, we won't we, we don't need to talk more about that Lakers game, burn the tape, bury it like a football player, whatever they do. Uh, but heck of a win by Nuggets and in a really like gritty, nice victory against the Pistons. Yeah, Jetty, I know you brought up Jetty. Jetty came up big in, against the Pistons after being in JB's doghouse for some odd reason that we probably won't know because, I mean, if no a reporter hasn't asked a question by now, it's not going to be asked. Mm-hmm. It was like a two-game thing where, like, Jetty just didn't come off the bench. It was super weird. But then, I mean, he played a huge role, like you said, against the Pistons. He had, like, 18 or 19 points, I think. He had one of the best plus-minuses on the team. He was a huge reason why the Cavs came back and beat Detroit. So, I mean he was in the doghouse but he came back and proved why he shouldn't be in the doghouse anymore i guess you'd say yeah he he had a finish last night where he was kind of in transition he had this ridiculous like reverse layup over i think it was gosh who was it, it might have been stanley johnson but he, he just like does some eye popping insane stuff that you're like no one else on this Cavs team can do what he does at times like he he might not be super efficient on some of those wild moves but man he just he i think i i heard the the chase down guy say he he brings you know osmond brings a level of like volatility and like when you're so stagnant for a while you kind of need that so love to see him get back in and he he's one of the few guys where he can hit multiple threes uh, in a short span of time and really change a game. So yeah, lo- love to see Osmond get some more run. Yeah. And I know we're going to get it digging into some stats, but you brought up Lowry as well. Um, obviously we talked about it since the Austro or since Jared Allen's injury, he's been asked to do a lot more defensively, which obviously would kind of slow him down offensively. Um, at least like efficient wise, but since the all-star break in 14 or er, 14 games but i guess he he was inactive for the game against chicago um like 10 ish days ago lowry marketing is averaging 16.8 points six and a half rebounds and 1.3 assists per game while shooting 45 percent from the floor and 38 percent from three you want to see those numbers go up at least from three but 17 points a game i mean you can't ask for much more than that from a guy that when fully healthy he's probably your fourth best option offensively yeah, it seems like he's really turned a corner, specifically after his injury. Like he, he was having a pretty tough go of it from a shooting standpoint. And ever since he came back from the injury, he's he's been, you know, just making a lot more of them, way more of a threat. And he's like one of the few guys at this point I want shooting free throws. So I kind of love when he gets to the line and draws some contact. It's not super frequent, but but yeah, he he's filling it up right now. And and that game, uh that game against Denver, you know, no better example. Man, you had to bring up free throws, which leads us to our next guy. Somehow, one of the best free throw shooters on the team, Isaac Okoro. Who would have saw that coming? Especially with the way he shoots from outside the three, or from outside beyond the arc. But with that, Isaac Okoro, yes, he is not known as a three-point shooter. Yes, opposing defenses want him to shoot the three. But since the All-Star break, 
he's been making opponents pay for letting him shoot for the three from the corner. Um, on the season, he's 35% from three from the corner three, which obviously not the greatest. Uh, for those of you that don't know the corners, the corners are the shortest threes you can have. It's just the way the NBA arc is set up. But in his last 14 games since the all-star break, he is shooting 46.4% from the three. He's taken 28 of them. He's by far taken, I mean, in the last 14 games and all season, he's by far taken the most corner threes on the team. If he could just be, I won't even take 40, whatever he's at. I just totally lost my train of thought. I won't even take 46.4%. I'll let that go down to like 42, 40, 42%. That would open up this offense so much more. It makes it so much easier for Darius. And, I mean, any point, any, Karis, Darius, Jared Allen down low when he's healthy. It just opens up the floor so much for when Isaac Okoro can be an efficient three-point shooter from the corners. And he was stuck in those high 20s in terms of a three-point percentage for so long this year. Like It was even going back to – Pardon my memory. I, th- I think it was going back into January. He was still hovering around like 28, 29% from three. And with his recent hot stretch, man, he's, he skyrocketed up to, I think, 34 and a half for the season. And so, I mean, you and I have talked about it all year and said, if he can just become league average from the three point line, it's just a game changer. And man, he's, he's pretty much there. Like he, his recent hot stretch, of course, we want to see it level out. Like we had some pretty tough lows at the beginning of the season, but. Man, yeah, since he's starting to make them, if you know, if he can throw a little bit more volume, you know, a few more attempts per game on there uh, attached to that 35%, it's huge. Like that, that's his his evolution as a as an offensive player is the corner three and then tightening that handle, which will help him downhill. So he's what he's done this year um is, is made serious steps. And man, I can't wait. Like one more offseason for him. I'm thrilled for what he's gonna look like next year. Yeah, and like I said, I know opponents are going to, out of the five players on the court when the Cavs are fully healthy, they're going to let Isaac shoot. Just be an efficient guy. I mean, a little bit better than league average, I'll take. Because, I mean, even when he's been struggling, Isaac Okoro, when he's been shooting well over the last 14 games from the corner, he has 28 three-point attempts from the, third, from the corners. The next highest on the Cavs, Kevin Love at 17. So he's taking 11 more than the second highest. And then when you just zoom out even more to the entire season, Isaac's taking 110 corner threes at 35.5% clip. Um, Kevin Love, second most, 69. So he has taken 41 more threes than the second most on the Cavs. So, I mean, just his number one thing this offseason, obviously to get a little bit bulkier, but he's already great defensively. Just be an efficient corner. Be an efficient, I can't talk, be an efficient shooter from the corner and just continue to slash. Because if you can do those two things, that's going to make them so much easier for the rest of the Cavs offense. Yep. Opens it up for everybody. Like you said, Karis, Darius, hopefully Colin Sexton next year. Space is a little bit better for Lowry and it's huge. But maybe Josh, this will be just kind of our stats podcast. I, I, I've been like foaming at the mouth all day because I was, I was, texting or DMing you last night. I think I'm like, all right, I got some good stats here. And I made like a little sub bullet on my word document that just said like stars shine because these next two guys, if you don't mind just absolutely jumping in and thinking about like the macro for a second, there's just some absurd stats um, with, uh, with Evan Mobley and Darius Garland. And I just, I just can't wait to, uh, to dive into a little bit. So by the way, he is talking about the most improved player in the NBA this year and the rookie of the year. All right, continue. 
I have both of those listed down. Absolutely. And I have the odds for both. I'm wearing my It's Only Money sweatshirt, which has got a little bit of a gambling tie here. Um, so I had to had to bring both of those up. Did Calvin yeah. Ridley make that? Sorry, I had to just bring that joke in. <laughs> 1500 bucks back to the the topic (laughs) so i guess maybe we'll start with evan mobley because when i looked this morning per DraftKings, his rookie of the year odds were minus 900 so basically means you have to wager 900 to win 100 so he's essentially a lock at this point there's 10 games left so not much left of the season the the one great thing i think about mobley is the other guys have come on it's not like it's just a completely weak rookie class like Cade has been balling for a couple months now. He's putting up some ridiculous stats in Detroit. They're not winning, of course. So hopefully the voters, you know, put the Cavs record in, in, into place there. But even uh, Jalen Green is, is starting to bounce back and he's had a hot last 10 or 12 games. And so it feels like don't, Mobley is. Oh, I mean, don't forget about Scotty Burns, too. He's. It, I'll, I'll, sorry, I interrupted you. But I'd say the top three for rookie of the year right now are probably mm-hmm. Mobley. Barnes and Cade. It has to be. Yep. No, you're you're absolutely right. Giddy's probably down in like fourth or fifth area there. Jalen Green might round it out, but you're 100 right. Yeah, Scotty is him and him and Mobley are. I won't say they're comparable players, but like their play style, perhaps like and how they impact the game defensively. Uh, they they both still have like a long way to go offensively. I'd say Mobley a little bit less long way to go than than uh, Scotty Barnes. We saw what Scotty did over All Star Weekend when he missed like six bunnies uh, in the, in the competition. But yeah, back back to Mobley. This is one of the things I've been most impressed with this entire year is contest per game. Like that statistic to me, just like he cares about defense and he cares about contesting shots and even more so than like blocks or steals, like an Evan Mobley contest is just as good as a block for, for some guys because he alters your shots so much. And he's currently third in the league behind uh, Rudy Gobert, I believe who is second for the Utah jazz and then portal for the San Antonio Spurs, which he actually surprised me that, that he was up there. Um, but 12.3 contests per game for Evan Mobley. His last 10 games, he's been sizzling, uh, averaging almost a double-double, 18 and 9.4 rebounds a game, two and a half assists, 1.7 blocks, all on 53% field goal percentage. So he's been an absolute monster, and we've talked about it briefly last time, but where it looked like he was maybe hitting a little bit of a, I won't say a wall, but he was slowing down a little bit, maybe with just some legs right around the all-star break. He's come right back out specifically when Jared Allen went down, and man, he's, he's looked awesome. Like you talked about earlier, he hasn't necessarily guarded the bigs the entire time Allen's been out, but he's just been incredible, and um, he's really got me thinking some high hopes for next season. I stink, and I completely forgot about chat. So just checking in, Justin Rowan, co-host of the great Chase Down Pod. I guess he's a member of the Cavs too. The only the only uh, blue check mark on the Chase Down Pod. So congrats to that, by the way. I had to rub that in Carter Rodriguez's face a little bit, even though I'm not blue check mark either. Um, Justin, thanks for checking in. Love your podcast. Although we always seem to do these podcasts, we always pick a random night, and you guys always start the hour before we start. So we need to figure that out. Yeah, thanks for checking in, Justin. Appreciate it. Um, another one before we get going. Scott Cordick on YouTube. If Lowry, Mobley, and DG equals the big three developing into a championship contender, Allen is more of a bogut than Green. 
I don't really know what I wonder what green he's talking about. Draymond Green, Jeff Green, Cavaliers great Jeff Green. I don't know. Is JB Bickerstaff likely to be our Mark Jackson? Should Mark Price be our Steve Kerr? I don't know really where he's going with this. Is he saying that JB's gonna be fired for Mark Price? I I don't know. Yeah, and just off the just off the top there, like I think if you're gonna put a big three, I mean DG and Mobley are obviously in there. I don't know if you know we'll see what Laurie turns into, right? Like I don't know if he's necessarily in there you know, four and five year plan. Like, I, I think Laurie's one of those guys who uh, he might be, but I, I think we have to wait and see next year when, once they're fully healthy, what, what that looks like. Hey, if hiring, if firing JB and hiring Mark Price means three, three championships, I'll gladly take that. I love JB, but that's, that's just beside the point. But yeah, I agree. If we're talking Cavs big three, it's Mobley, Garland, Allen, Lowry's like that three and a big three and a half i call him a half in that hopefully isaac okoro ends up being the other half um and then one more adam cerny and the scott Cordick and adam cerny always checking in the podcast whether it's browns cast we appreciate that i hope the Cavs play well in the last few games we agree we i hope they play well enough how about put it that way well well enough same thing hopefully five and five is well enough we'll talk about that later in the podcast as well though but um Back to, I guess tonight's podcast, not the Cavs Weekly podcast tonight. It's the Cavs but that has to be a name of a podcast already. I'm not like smart enough for that to be like the name of of my podcast, our podcast. But I love the name. I'll get smarter if we can keep the name. <laughs> so, like, we have some work to do. Then, in order to have that name, we have some work to do. Unfortunately, Beck, I know you have like some notes though. So we just talked about. I talked about Lowry. You talked about DG and Evan Mobley, Rookie of the Year. Although, no, you haven't really talked about Darius Garland yet, have you? No, yeah, I'll, I'll hit on Garland. He just had, like, a, a couple of absurd stats, and, like, I'm just so impressed with him, man. Like, I'm going to, like, crush on him for a second here. Um, what he's done this year, and with the back injury, right, that, that was concerning. Darius Garland's had some injury concerns over his entire career, right? Going back to Vanderbilt, had knee issues, only played a handful of games. Every year he's missed, I want to say, eight to ten games uh, for the first couple of years. And it just felt like we were getting to a point where is Garland going to make it through the regular season? I understand there's ten games left, but he really hasn't shown any, like, ill effects from his back injury the past couple weeks. Knock, knock on wood right now. Please, <laughs> if, if Garland gets hurt the rest of the season, you can play. I was when you brought up Darius Garland, though. I mean, knock on wood, you haven't heard about that back injury since he came back. And it, the last like source thing I think was from Chris Fedor saying that it was going to affect him in that no matter what the rest of the way. So maybe that little like two, one and a half, two week break, I forget how long exactly it was. Maybe that did him more good than we thought because you, I mean. I don't really pay attention to him like when the Cavs, when he doesn't have the ball, but like it used to be before his um, little break after the All-Star break, you'd like see him like hit, touch his back. I mean, different times of the game. I haven't seen that. I just hope maybe, maybe he's a tough man. Maybe he's taken like a lot of, maybe he's getting like, oh man. This is probably a bad topic to bring up. Maybe, maybe maybe he's getting some massages every day, and maybe he's getting treatment. Um, but yeah, you haven't heard anything about TG's back. 
and I'll gladly take that. Yeah. Sorry, I had to bring up massages. I'm sorry, Bronson. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're moving on. <laughs> like just sincerely like proud of him for like playing through being tough and what he's done after the all-star break and like you said me being a, a dumb idiot and judging how, what games they're holding him out on and saying they should sit him these games and play him these games so the Cavs really need it and it's like a whatever they did during that stretch was perfect because we have not heard or seen any ill effects from his back uh since he came back so it's been it's I mean been excellent yeah, I'm, I two or three weeks ago, we were discussing the back-to-backs that the Cavs have, and even then we were saying, like, which this game, Darius Garland will probably sit out this game. They'll probably choose mm-hmm. him to play this game over this game, like you said. And now here we go. I mean, he barely sat out last night. He played, like, the entire fourth quarter, I think. He's playing 40-plus minutes some nights, which obviously <laughs> isn't the best, but it's with Rondo out, Karis LeVert just coming back. JB's doing all he can do with all these injuries. So if Darius Garland's going to do it, he's going to do it. And he's been balling out too. He's not only playing out, he's balling out. I saw, I think I saw a stat shoot. I'd have to search on Twitter. He's over his last 10 games, he's having 25 points and 10 assists a game. He's one of like five Cavs to do that in the last like three or four decades, I think, or some, I'd have to go back on Twitter, but uh, Adam Cerny, once again, what's the latest on Garland's wrist? I know he heard it last night. We kind of got scared. LeBron was going up for a layup, and he seemed to jam either his wrist or his finger. After the game, he said he felt great. Whether that's hearsay to the media, I'm going to take him for his word. So I hope that wrist injury isn't a big deal. I mean, then again, it is the 2021-2022 Cavs, so injuries stink. We all know that. But, yeah, Darius Garland has been balling out. It's crazy. Yeah, the once that I saw, this is just unbelievable, and it's starting to put into perspective how special he is. So Basketball Reference tweeted something out last night after the game. Youngest players to average 25 points per game and 12 assists per game or more over 10 games. And that list included our own Darius Garland, 22 years old, in like 35 days or however old he is. Then the next name was Oscar Robertson, Big O, who is one of the most special players in NBA history at 22 years old. Isaiah Thomas did it at 22 years old, and that was the Detroit Piston Isaiah Thomas, not <laughs> Isaiah Thomas from the Celtics. And then Chris Paul was the other player to average over 25 and 12, over a 10-game stretch, all being 22 years old, Darius Garland being the youngest 22-year-old of those four. That's the tweet I was talking about. So I literally could not have been farther off from what I thought that tweet said, but that's the tweet I was referencing literally 60 seconds ago. I mean, it, it, that is just absurd. Like we as in Cavs fans haven't seen anyone listed amongst those kinds of names since you know who. So it's just like incredibly special to see, you know, what Darius Garland has done this year. Um, the, the other piece I wanted to, to throw out and you mentioned it earlier was most improved player. So right now, Darius Garland is second behind John Morant. John Morant's running away with it. I think he's minus 3000 or, or something absurd. I would argue, however, that like Morant was so good last year that it's like, is he really that, that much better than he was, um, you know, this year from last year? I don't really know. Already felt like he was at superstar 
pure superstar level last year, but I guess I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to poo poo the, the award, but Garland right now, uh, as of DraftKings was plus 1400. So, you know, he's right in, right in second place. And just a couple of quick things I saw, you know, from what he's done last year to this year, I wanted to highlight. So he's increased his points per game by four, increased his assists per game plus two and a half, which is a lot of assists per game to increase his shooting 1.5% better from the um, field goal percentage six percentage points better from the free throw line his off and these are the two i think that are most impressive to me his offensive rating went from 105 last year to 112 this year and his defensive rating went from 117 to 111 so defensive rating you actually want low and so he's, he's improved both his offense and defensive by six or more um, from last year to to this year and to your point like he's playing 40 minutes some games right now uh, through some injury so like what he's done has just been incredible and i mean just seeing his name amongst some of those uh just it's just so special man it's awesome yeah if you and darius we can talk about darius garland literally for hours and it could be an entire podcast only on darius garland and it could go for hours i would love to i think chris fudor recently wrote about this but it was behind the paywall um I think we talked about this last week or the week before too. I would love to know what helped Darius Garland make this leap like the most. Was it working out with the Olympic team this past summer? Was it Ricky Rubio coming in and being that veteran that not only Darius Garland could learn from, but like be a mentor for Darius? Was it Rajon? I mean, Rajon Rondo, we, uh, we hate on him sometimes, but he's the veteran. His, the Cavs, his Cavs teammates, always say positive things about him i would just love to know what contributed the most i'm assuming it's probably the olympics and then with ricky rubio coming in that helps out but like darius garland's leap this year has been incredible i mean you could say that if he's not second team all nba next season it might be a disappointment and the, the guards that he's gonna have to compete with are crazy just the leap that he's taken whether it's like the three-point shooting, like you said, he's improved on that. His assist, I mean, the, when he goes to the bucket, you don't know if he's going to lay one up like uh, from five feet out or if it's going to be an alley to Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. Just he has become so lethal. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen have been a huge reason why the Cavs are in the position that they are. But Darius, if Darius Garland isn't a Cav, none of this happens. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, we've said it all year. The, the you know the Cavs go as Darius Garland goes, and without Darius Garland, their offense is stuck in mud. And we saw it multiple times this year. I mean, he, yeah, just I'll, I'll try being stop being so surgical with like the hard box score data or whatever. But like you said, just with when he gets into like the mid range, and you don't know if he's gonna do a step back and and shoot like a, like a jumper right in front of the three-point line or if he's going to continue to go downhill and, and get all the way to the basket or if he's going to dump it off to someone it's just it's almost like pick your poison like he can do any of those three and he's just going to figure out which one he wants to do most so yeah it's just what he's done is incredible 
both on the offensive and the defensive end. So it's just, I don't know what else to, like you said, we could talk about him for literally hours and just like break down film. It's so freaking special. Maybe we'll do that once the Austin rolls around. Literally just have a Darius Garland podcast. DG the PG podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, you brought up the floor. It's crazy how he has perfected that floater slash alley-oop game where they both look the same until the shot either goes in or it's caught by Evan Mobley or Joe Allen. Because they literally I – th- he, I think he talked about this with Spencer Davies of the bas- basketballnews.com a month or two ago. Maybe it was more than that. Where he has literally – he purposely does that where opponents don't know what's coming. They don't know if it's going to be a floater or if it's going to be alley-oop. And it, he has perfected that part of his game. And that's a huge reason why he is where he is today too. It's like he's a, it's like he's an MLB pitcher and he's not like tipping off what he's going to throw to you, right? Like a fastball looks the same as the changeup, looks the same as the curveball and defenders don't know what's coming. And you can tell like they're off balance. They don't want to like rush and attack him because they know the, the easy dump off or, you know, alley-oop is there. Or if, if, if they let, sag back, like that floater is efficient. It's not like it's like a 35, 40% floater. Like he's going to make it. So yeah, I, I don't know what you do other than just try to blitz him with like six, eight guys. He, he's a nightmare <laughs> to game plan against. The Cav, I mean, he has been blitzed, especially when Evan Mobley was out for a little bit. The opponents tried to blitz him, but he has countered and he's found other ways to succeed. I'm um, sorry. I'm, you brought up the how good of a shooter he's been in um, within like five-ish feet. Uh, so far this season, I'm actually on this page right now. So far this season, Darius Garland is shooting. Um, sorry, I'm scrolling down here trying to f- find it. He's shooting 57.4% from inside the restricted area, which is, I mean, I'll take that from a point guard from inside six, the paint. One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. From inside the paint, he is shooting. Oh, a team best 50.3%. So from inside the paint, not R. I'm trying to think of non-RA. What does RA stand for? I don't know. Because I th- I feel like Jared Allen has to be shooting better than well, that. Oh, is that uh, within the restricted area maybe? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's yes. Okay. So, so from inside the paint, Darius Garland ha- is shooting 50.3%, the best on the team. And it's really not even close compared to the other. The next best in terms of regulars is Kevin Love at 47.7%. When your point guard is shooting 50.3% from inside the paint, not the restricted area, and he can shoot threes, and he can throw alley-oops to his big guys, I mean, that is so hard to guard. I feel bad for opposing defenses. Yeah, that's a problem, and I love it. Like, you you see some of the top-tier point guards, the athletic point guards in the league, and like John Morant is the same way. I think his numbers are even more impressive down in the paint. He's up with like the top five centers in the league in field goal percentage. So, man, if he can keep it right there, keep developing that outside shot. Whew. I, I, I've said it three times already. Next year, baby. Let's go. It is. It is I know we keep harping on this. Next year's the year. I mean, the, the Cavs, we've been saying this every week too. It's They're playing with house money this year. No one expected this. As we always say, enjoy this because there are no expectations. I mean, the Cavs were at 26 and a half wins over under part of the season. Now they're at, they could potentially get 50 wins this year and almost double that over under mark. And speaking of John Morant, I mean, he just dunks over guys. That's not fair. That, right? That's not fair. 
That's a very good point. It is not fair. We've seen him do it to a few Cavaliers. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, let me let me finish up my my Cavalytics here. So I got one more stat, and this I'm only doing this to balance myself out because I've just been like absolutely just like throwing all the flowers and love I can at this Cavs team. There's there's one stat I saw that kind of stuck out to me, and I admit it's too early to like read too much into this. I, I just thought it was interesting based on kind of how bad it was and just wanted to kind of get your your thoughts, Josh. So when I looked at, you know, box plus minus, and for, for those that aren't, aren't familiar with that, it's essentially take the average NBA player, right? League average from a statistical standpoint what does that player attribute to over 100 possessions? So a really good player typically will have a really good box score, uh, plus minus box score, and that's really their impact to the game. And when I looked at Karis LeVert's uh, plus minus box score, from an offensive standpoint, it was minus three and a half offensively, minus three and a half offensively, and defensively, it was minus 1.4. So he was actually in a negative on both. Offensively was almost two times worse than defensively, which surprised me a little bit. Now, I will say before, I, I'll kind of ask for, for your thoughts or just reaction to that, Josh. You know, he's only played in nine games, right? He's been hurt, so we don't have it. It's not a huge sample size, but just any thoughts? Is that kind of past the eyeball test when, when I read off that stat? Unfortunately, I'd say yes. He has struggled mightily ever since coming to the Cavs. I mean, like you said, it's nine-game sample size. You can't really take too much. Actually, no, it's not even nine games. I think about it. It's five. Hold on. Where are we? Oh, no, it is. Okay, my bad. Four games that he was off, he was hurt, and then five games. I mean, he is averaging – I'm just doing this quick. He's averaging 12.3 points. On 40% shooting and 31% shooting from three. And he's 3.7 assists, 2.6 rebounds. How maybe he needs more time. I mean, maybe he needs more practice time to get to know the player like Darius and those guys just to get chemistry with them. He maybe he's not used to being on like a winning team. I mean, he's been with Indiana and uh I guess Brooklyn was good, but Indiana was not good before the guy traded for uh, Karras, he was on Indiana. I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, I don't want to ask too much out of him, but with all the injuries, you need Karras to do more than what he's doing right now. Both, like you said, both offensively and defensively, he's been struggling, and he needs to be doing more than that, especially come playoff time. Yeah, I, and I, I think I only looked this up because I was really kind of, to be honest, like disappointed with what he looked like last night. Like last night was a stinker for a lot of the Cavaliers, but Karis defensively last night just looked like uninterested. He had a couple of bad gambles on steals, and he just wasn't moving his feet very well. And I guess one, one of the things that might help him out is Jared Allen coming back. Like that's one player that he's got some familiarity with, and so having maybe Allen play long and play with Levert when he comes in early might, might be something that helps him out. But yeah, I think, you know, nine games in, it hasn't been great. You know, you can hope over these next 10 games before the playoffs or play in, you know, that, that he can, you know, build something. I think he's had one or two great games, but the others that have been, you know, rough from a shooting perspective. So that, that's just the one thing that stuck out. I just, you know, hope he, he can get into a rhythm here because, I mean, the Cavs need him. They, like they they have one or two guys that can get past someone off the dribble. So he's it. So in a playoff series, man, they're, they're really going to need him. So hopefully he gets to play a lot better. And um, like I said, this was just to bring myself down. I needed to uh, appear somewhat balanced. So I had to throw that in there. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just stroking everyone on the Cavs team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he had looking at his numbers last night. He shot four for seven in 16 minutes. 
the night before or the game before four for ten. He's had three of his nine games he shot over fifty percent. It's just that he's probably just not getting up the shots that I don't know. It's weird. Because like if Darius I'd rather obviously Darius shoot more, Evan Mobley shoot more, Kevin Love probably shoot more. It's just yeah, I he just I don't really care about his points. I just want him to be more efficient and I want him to, I guess, throw more assists because I mean, I was watching the games with a few buddies the other night, and they said that Karras is used to playing on a losing team where he just puts his head down and goes to the basket. And there's still times. I mean, last night, Karras did that a couple times. He got fouled, but he just needs to learn to learn that he has better teammates than he did in years past and just not always rely on, hey, just put your head down and shoot the ball. Yeah, he's you know very like different players, but he's got a little Clarkson in him. Where when he does some of his crazy like combination dribble moves and gets a shot up, when it goes in, it looks pretty sweet, and you're like, okay, great. But when it misses, it's like, man, everyone was just standing around watching him. And I saw Scott just drop that comment in uh, Levert's offense is ball stopping as of yet, which is 100 percent right. And I I think the Cavs like kind of knew that. Like that's if you watch Levert games, like that's pretty much what he does. They I think they just addressed they needed some type of score. But yeah, it's it's one of those things when when he doesn't when it's not going in, it looks ugly and and probably is not like super fun to play with because a lot of the guys are just standing watching him. When it goes in, you're like, yep, there's our ISO guy that can go get a couple buckets, which is like you know the the Colin Sexton of the team. So yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. The next ten games are going to be big. And let's hope Jared Allen can can have a chance to come back and he can build some of that chemistry. So I was I wasn't gonna listen to the next 10 games, but you brought up Jared Allen. Um Shams reported yesterday morning that Jared Allen is hopeful of a return to line to the lineup within the next three weeks after suffering a fractured left finger on March 6th. Um I could I pretty sure I saw that he's hoping to return during the regular season. I'm not gonna count on that. But if Jared Allen can maybe get his feet wet again and get some minutes, even if it's the last game of the season before the playoffs start, I'll gladly take that. But then again, he's a center. It's not like he needs like to improve his three-point shooting. He gets rebounds, sets screens, and dunks the ball. So I, I just want him back in the playoffs. I don't care if he's back for regular season. I'd love it if he is. But just be ready for game one of the playoffs or the play-in, which we will talk about. I hope it's the playoffs and not the play-in. But – yeah, just give me Jared Allen. He just he makes things so much easier offensively because he's a legitimate big man that can just throw up and get offensive rebounds and dunk the ball. And I mean, his efficiency from inside the paint's crazy. And defensively, we already know how important he is defensively. Evan Mobley is huge. Obviously, we know Evan Mobley should be all NBA defensive team, whether it's second or third or whatever. But Jared Allen is right up there too, and the, them as a tandem is lethal. So. I just want Jared Allen back. Hopefully at 100%. I, I feel like a broken middle finger on his non-shooting hand shouldn't be too big of a deal as, as long as it's healed. But just, just give me Jared Allen back, please. And we know another guy who wants Jared Allen back, and that's Darius Garland. Like We, we got to get Darius the screens that he's accustomed to because what he's getting from the guys right now is not the same as his Jared Allen screen. So I know that's another guy who, who's itching to get uh, Jared Allen back is Darius Garland. And, and Josh, I, I know I'll, I'll probably try to set you up here because I think you've got some of the schedule information up. And so, you know, Cavs right now, 41 and 31. They're at game set, game through game 72, excuse me. They've got 10 games left. And I believe they're currently one game ahead of Toronto. So do you want to kind of jump into, you know, what's coming up, upcoming matchups? 
Yes, and before I forget, because I brought up the Shams, what Shams said about Jared Allen, I can't forget about Craig's number one player on the Cavs, Craig Lindell's number one player on the Cavs, Dean Wade. Uh, Shams reported that Dean Wade tore his meniscus. Yet, yet again, another injury to a Cavs role player. I mean, obviously Dean Wade's not as important as like Jared Allen, Darius Garland, blah, blah, blah. But the Cavs just, the injury bug has officially hit him. And we already knew that, but D- Dean Wade goes down again with a torn meniscus. I'm assuming that means he's probably done for a while. I don't know. I know he's, uh, the report said he's out indefinitely. But on the cast schedule, 10 games left, 41-31. and 31. The Raptors are 40-32 a game back in the standings. The Cavs are 3-0 against the Raptors, um, so they had the tiebreaker. So they're, the Cavs are a game up, but technically they're two games up when you think about the tiebreaker. Thursday night. Uh, the Raptors lost last night to the Bulls. I'm, I'm trying to think. Raptors lost last night to the Bulls. Cavs lost to the Lakers, obviously. So they both played last night. They're both off until Thursday. And like we said earlier, one of the biggest games of the regular season. I mean, it's in Toronto. Cavs win. They go up two games, essentially three games with nine games to go. Cavs lose. It's tied up. Yes, you have the tiebreaker, but it's tied up with nine games to go. There's a lot on the line. It's the difference between the sixth and seventh seed, which is the difference between getting into the playoffs and having to play in the play-in. That's why Thursday, I mean, we can talk about the rest of the schedule, but there's a lot on the line Thursday. I hope the Cavs come to play. Maybe JB will let a, let a, light a fire under their ass. I think I'm, I'm probably not allowed to say that word sometimes on this podcast, but it is what it is. Hopefully, I just hope they come off or come out in Toronto very angry with how last night ended up against the Lakers and just play angry basketball. I I know they're going to be without Jared Allen. That's obviously a huge loss again. I mean, we can't stress that enough. But just play angry basketball, and if you can find a way to win Thursday night, that, I mean, there's still plenty of pressure on the last nine games, but that is like a huge sigh of relief because you're literally three games up with nine games to go. Yeah, and and if there's a team that the Cavaliers want to play without Jared Allen right now, in terms of you know Eastern Conference teams that are contending for the playoffs, Toronto is probably up there because they don't have one of those prototypical bigs that's just going to bang on you. You know, if I look at who they played a lot last game against the the Bulls, I think Kem Birch is like their big guy right now. He's like six eight, six nine. Um, Siakam obviously is kind of a horse, but you know, in terms of like Lowry and Mobley and love, I I think those are all guys that, you know, we're not going to get just completely out physical down low. And so, uh, I believe the Raptors are still without OG, um, as well. So yeah, huge game, like you said, and I think I overvalue this a little bit, but specifically with a young team, like coming off a bad loss like that and no getting around it. That was, that was a tough loss. That was bad. I mean, there, there should be, they, they should be a little ticked off. Um, I would much rather them come out of that game, getting kind of shell shocked at home against the Lakers and having something to kind of be ticked off about versus maybe, you know, playing down to somebody and winning maybe versus like coming off the Detroit game where they kind of snuck out a win. And so, yeah, I I think they're in a great position. I love the fact that they get a few days off. I know the Raptors do too, but um, you know, enough time for them to kind of stew at the film. And um, after one of the recent games, JB talked about, how he addressed to the team and how important it was for them to, you know, realize the moment. Like 
hopefully next year is even better than the year after that. But like, who knows, right? Like injuries happen, things change every single year. And so like, there's no opportunity like right now for them to go get a huge win and put themselves in a great position to go be in the sixth seed. So man, is it, am I being dramatic to say that so far, this is the biggest game of the season? I know it's the latest, so that's easy to say, but does this feel like the biggest game of the year to you thus far? It's crazy. Oh, wow. I totally just hit my camera with my foot. Um, you can say Thursday is the biggest game of the season. If the Cavs win, Saturday night then may become the biggest game of the season. Um, Thursday in Toronto, Saturday at home against the Bulls. The Bulls, looking at the standings right now. I, I So to answer your question, this season to date, at least with recency bias, I would say that Thursday night's the biggest game of the season just because of what it means in terms of the difference between the sixth and seventh seed and getting into the playoffs or into the play-in. Um, so yes, to answer your question, yes. And maybe it is recency bias. Maybe two months ago we wouldn't have we would have said that about another game, but with ten games to go, only a game up on the Raptors, it is a huge game. Um but yeah, look and then Saturday night, so you have at Toronto Thursday night, home against the Bulls Saturday night. The Bulls are currently losing to Milwaukee. They're down thirteen at the end of the first quarter. Like usual, the Bulls are struggling against a top three team in the conference. I don't think they've – I think they're like 0-14 against the top three teams in each conference this year, which is mind-boggling to me when you think that the Bulls are literally one of the best teams in the East. Um, the Bulls are currently four and a half games behind the first-place Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference. The Cavs are currently six. So if the Bulls lose tonight, that would put them only a game ahead of the Cavs. So, I mean, I don't want to get my hopes up, but if the Cavs beat the Raptors Thursday night, and then, so the Cavs beat the, say the, knock on wood, say the Cavs beat the Raptors Thursday night, they technically go up three games with the tiebreaker on, well, two games with the tiebreaker, so it's really three games on the Raptors. Then you might only be a game back from the Bulls with the home game against Chicago. If you win that game, boom, you're not even thinking about sixth seed in the play-in. You're tied for the fifth seed. So, yeah, like I said, I guess to answer your question in the longest way possible, Thursday night is currently the biggest game of the season, but if the Cavs win, Saturday night might be the biggest game of the season. Yeah, and we we can just continue that trend on. Like next week, whatever the next game is, if the Cavs are like locked up with the Raptors, we'll say that's the biggest game. But like as of right now, except for the games against the Magic, yeah, those probably are. Now watch the Cavs are going to lose both games in the Magic. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So so they're they're at or I'm sorry they're in Toronto, and then the Cavaliers have three home games uh, versus Bulls, versus Magic, versus the Mavericks, and then they've got you know obviously a handful of games after that. And so yeah, I mean. we talked about it the last couple of times now, but it's ultimate ultimate scoreboard watching. Um, like you said, if if the Bulls get beat, then that it becomes a very interesting. It's you know the teams are not locked in at all. Like it, it, we're we're still incredibly jumbled up in the Eastern Conference, um, and anything anything injury wise that can happen, you know, it could really shake things up. So. Man, that Toronto game is going to be intense, and the Cavs have already had a couple of very tightly contested, like chippy type of games. Like the Raptors play a physical style anyway, but the Cavs have been in some juggernauts with them already this year. So I'm expecting nothing less. The crowd's going to be on fire in Toronto. They know it's a big game. They have good fans. So yeah, I'm expecting it to be a really good environment, and I think JB is going to get the guys up. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome environment and a great game. I honestly haven't watched a Toronto game at Toronto in weeks. 
they're allowed fans and I know they went for a time. Okay, so they're allowed fans back. I know there was a few weeks ago when the fans weren't allowed. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's just go through the schedule, I guess. So they have at Toronto at versus Chicago, like we said. Uh, Orlando, Dallas. I'm actually going back to how important these these next two games are. I will gladly take. Yes, this game in Toronto means so much just because of the play-in impl- implications. But just win one of these next two. I'll take a win over Chicago or Toronto. Obviously, two wins, great. Just don't – you can't go 0-2. I mean, 0-2 is to put you in a tough spot the rest of the way. Um, looking at the standings, the Cavs are obviously one game up on Toronto. If Chicago loses tonight, they're currently down 16, 8.37 left in the second. Um, if the – the Bulls lose tonight. They're one game behind the Bulls. But looking at the last 10, the Cavs have somewhat struggled their last 10 games, let's be honest. But they're 5-5. Five and five. Chicago's 3-7. and seven. Toronto's 6-4. and four. Say all of those records duplicate themselves the final 10 games of the season. If the Cavs go 5-5, five and five, the Raptors go 6-4, and four, and Chicago goes 3-3, three and three, or 3-7, three and seven, the Cavs are the fifth season in the East. So yes, the Cavs have been struggling, but Go five and five again. That's why. That's why. Like five hundred basketball the rest of the season, I think is good enough to not only make the play in, but possibly I without looking at Chicago's schedule, possibly jump up to the fifth seed. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chapotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. Yeah, it's it's wild how how tight this all is. And, you know, you and I were looking ahead at the last couple games of the season versus the Nets and versus Milwaukee. And it's like it's probably insane thinking, like, is there any chance that these seeds are wrapped up so that we may face a team that has some some resting starters? And it's like that is probably crazy. I think it's going to be a battle to the very end. And so there's probably not going to be a game or two that you know, the, the Cavaliers are going to be playing like the, the G league squad of any of these guys, it's going to be battle for playoff position till the very end. And, and I, I don't think we're going to have a clear picture until the last couple of days of the season. Yeah. That I wish Milwaukee would do enough to have a seed locked up, but given that Philadelphia, Milwaukee and Boston are all currently two and a half games back behind the heat with 10 to go, 10 ish games to go. I think some guys have 11. Um, yeah. I mean, that season, Red Wings season finale, home against Milwaukee. Right now on ESPN, it's to be determined time. That might be an ESPN. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets ESPN or I don't know. I, yeah, that'd be a Sunday night. I wouldn't be surprised if that 
becomes an ESPN game because that will be huge implications most likely. And it's the Cavs and the Bucks, which is weird to say. The Cavs are musty, musty national TV, especially when healthy. Um, yeah, I mean these last ten games of the season, we've been saying it for weeks now that like every game matters, but literally every game matters these last ten games. Obviously, the game against Toronto and Chicago Thursday night, Sunday night matter a little bit more than like two games against Orlando. But every win counts the same. I mean, a win against Chicago still counts as one win in the win column. A win against Orlando still counts as one win in the win column. Just, I hope at worst they go five and five. I'm aiming for five and five. Anything better than that, I'm fine with. And, and then if you think about it, so say they beat the Raptors on Thursday. That puts them two games up in the standings, essentially three games up in the standings. The final nine games, if you go four and five, Toronto has to go seven and two yeah yeah so that's why thursday night means so much because if you win thursday night you go four and five in the final nine games toronto has to go seven and two that's gonna be tough especially given how many minutes he's at nick nurse is playing these guys and the fact that og's hurt and just that's why i mean i we i know we've both been saying it we cannot stress enough how important thursday is because a win just gives you such a bigger i guess it gives you so much more room, both literally and in the standings, and it eases some of the pressure. Yeah, and it puts so much pressure on Toronto. I mean, it, if they're faced with having to go seven and two to avoid the play-in, or get this, or they probably have to play the Bucks. I'm sorry, not the Bucks, or they have to play the Nets in the first call it the first round of the play-in tournament. So just an insane amount of pressure based off of who's lurking there at number eight. Like if it was somebody else, like the Hornets or the Hawks, maybe you're not as concerned. But with the likely the Nets being at number eight, you really want to avoid it. And like you said, every single game is important. Just looking at just looking at the magic, like they're like Wendell Carter's starting to play a lot better in March alone. They lost to the Suns by three. They lost to the 76ers by two in overtime. Like they're starting to get a little spunky. Like I think they've played together for a while now. Jalen Suggs is playing better. Wendell Carter, like I said, is emerging. And so they've got a couple wins in March. They've lost to a couple of really good teams. And so, yeah, I mean, Cavs are gonna Cavs are gonna have to bring it these next 10 games. And it's it's really fun to think about this as almost being like an extension of playoff experience. Like Darius Garland didn't get this experience his first or second year where it's like, you know, they've they're in this playoff run and every game matters so much. And shout out to the cat in the background. Uh <laughs> But my yeah. brother, I'm cat sitting. That's my brother's cat. She always <laughs> finds a way to show up in the TV in the computer camera. Someone tag her on, on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, it's just just fun that they're in it right now. And in you know these games are, are critically important to get to where they want to go. And uh, I love that even they're getting this experience. You know, we, obviously we've been talking about it all year. We want the playoff experience. Uh, but heck, you, you know, even this playoff like so it's just all good. Yeah, now I totally just lost some train of thought because I was a, oh, um, I'm more worried about not making it. I mean, yes, I'm fine with them making the plan. If you would have told me back in October that the Cavs, I would be angry if the Cavs made the plan. I would have said, sign me up for that, please. Um, But I'm more, worried, I, I guess worried isn't a good word, but I'm going to say that anyways. I'm more worried about the Cavs making the plan than I am for them going for like the fifth seed and jumping to Chicago because whether you're the fifth seed or the sixth seed, you're not going to have home field, home court advantage in the playoffs, which actually I will bring up Adam Cerny's comment right now. Um, fifth seed means you start on the road. It's 2-2-1-1-1. So you start on the road, two at home, 
one away, one home, one away. So it's three, four. You get three home games. You, the top four seeds get home court advantage in the first round. After that, it's whoever has the best seed. Um, but yeah, the difference between the fifth and the sixth seed, I mean, you're either playing freaking the Bucks, the Celtics, or the 76ers. They're all going to be a freaking nightmare in the playoffs, as we've been saying, preaching for weeks now. Just get into the playoffs. Give me all the playoff experience you can get. And just the easiest way to get into the playoffs where you're playing the seven-game series is to just get clinch a spot in the top six, not have to win one game in the play-in. So I am much more worried about them not making a play-in than I am them potentially jumping to like the fifth or even somehow the fourth seed. Just, yeah, just get me in the play-in, please. That's why, as we've been saying for a thousand times in the last 57 minutes in this podcast, Thursday night's game is huge. But I mean, say they lose Thursday night, they need to win Saturday night. I mean, Chicago, I think, has somewhat had the Cavs number so far this season. I don't know the exact uh, record. Um, they're without Lonzo Ball. I know he something just came out yesterday where he's going to have to be reevaluated in a couple weeks again. That's a huge loss for them. Alex Crusoe's back. He's been a thorn in the Cavs' side, it seems like, when he's playing. But, yeah, they have to win one of the next two. It's not a must, but... I'm not going to say it's a must win, but it would make things much easier if they win one of the next two. If they went to the next two, you're sitting pretty. Yeah, and I agree with the comment that Scott just made in, on YouTube. So if JB is going to get better, giving him a, a playoff series to work through is huge. And we talked about that last week. Um, Josh, if you remember, like we, we just said we're excited to see what JB does in a playoff series. Like, I, you know, I've been impressed with like, his off the court and camaraderie. And it seems like he's really got like the respect of the guys from a X's and O standpoint. It can, I, maybe this is just me, you know, not being as in tune as I, I should be, but I feel like you learn a lot about a coach in a seven game series, like game to game. Sometimes it's tough for these guys to pick up, you know, the game plan or to no tendencies, but there's no hiding in like a seven game series. Like you find out real quick, what's working, what's not working and what you need to change. So I completely agree with, with Scott there. Um, no better teacher for JB too. I mean, he's, he still probably has some things to learn as well. So that's going to be big. And, um, and Josh, one of the things that I was going to mention too was in regards to, you know, we've got a couple mailbag questions, but as I'm going through, I'm realizing we already answered one by accident. Um, and the second one we kind of answered, but maybe I'll still throw your way anyway, unless you want to hit on anything else in regards to the schedule. Well, what's, what's the first one? I'm curious. So the first one was, is Toronto the biggest game of the season? Oh, given the standings? We, <laughs> we've yeah. already talked about that for like the last 30 minutes. It seems like. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest game of the season to date, yes. And then, like I said, if they win Thursday, Saturday becomes the biggest game of the season. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I asked that question without even realizing it was a mailbag question. So that's on me. My bad. Sorry, Rep. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, all right. <laughs> so next up, uh, and, th and this is the only other one I got, is uh, which one team, and you kind of talked through this. You didn't give an answer, but you, you kind of brought it up, broached it. Which one team do you want to avoid in the playoffs? So let's, I guess let's just take the play-in out of the equation. Let's say the Cavs make the sixth seed or even fifth seed you know, what would you say is the one team that you'd want to avoid? Because I think it's all on the table. Like it's improbable for the Heat to fall back, or maybe for like Milwaukee to fall back a bit. But it's all it all could happen. You know, barring yeah. something happening. So yeah, what's what's if you had to say one team that you'd really want to avoid? This is tough because I mean Miami, the number one seed in the East, 
they don't have like a superstar. I guess Jimmy Butler, I guess, is a superstar player. They're just a great team all around. I mean, they don't really have any weaknesses when you think about it. And it's crazy to think that they're two and a half games up in the East. Philly. It's easy to hate on Philly. I I love Joel Embiid, but I hate the cat's back. I hate um just the way he like just tries to get fouls. James Harden's James Harden is even worse. I hate watching James Harden play basketball now. He used to be one of my I mean he used to be, I guess he still is one of the best players in the NBA. But just like the way he doesn't even play basketball anymore, he just like searches for the easiest way to get to the free throw line. I hate I hate that style of basketball. Um, man, that I'm just thinking of a, a seven game series against Philadelphia. That's to be like 250 free throws for the freaking Sixers. 200 of which will be Joel Embiid and James Harden. Um, so, wait, would you say the toughest or the team that I would want to play? I totally just lost my train of thought. Uh, which one team do you want to avoid? So I guess w- which team do you not want to face the most? So I guess you could take it as toughest or just which which one would make you most sick. <laughs> by playing. How about this? I will give you because the team I really want to get matched up with is Chicago, which is most likely impossible. The top four teams, though, I'll just give you a reason why I don't want to be matched up with them. Miami, I already talked about it. Sixers. It's easy to hate on the Sixers. J- James Harden, Joel Embiid. I mean, Maxie is... Especially against the Cavs, he turns into all NBA maxi. Milwaukee, that's obvious. Giannis, they just won it all last year. They have the experience. Giannis is a matchup nightmare for anyone and everyone. That's what's true for the Cavs. I think the last time the Cavs threw like Jared Allen at him, and it kind of worked out if I remember correctly, but Jared Allen on Giannis in the seven-game series, that does not sound fun whatsoever. Um, Boston, I mean, Probably the hottest team in the NBA right now. One of the hottest. They're nine and one in the last ten. They seems like they've been dominating since they got Derek White from the Spurs, which we called that one from the night that the trade deadline happened. We said Derek White is a perfect fit for that team, and they've been dominating ever since. So yeah, those four. I don't know which one I want to avoid the most. They're all matchup, not matchup nightmares, but they all. They all have reasons why the Cavs are going to struggle against them. And I guess, I mean, it goes without saying when you're thinking about the top four seeds. But, yeah, I, I don't know which one I w- I'd want to avoid the most just because all four of those just are very tough matchup-based-wise. And I don't know. I, I don't have – how about this? I don't have an answer to that mailbag question. I can just come up with a way to say why – whoever they get matched up with in the, in the playoffs, assuming they make the playoffs and not just the play in why it would be a very tough first round matchup. Yeah, that's where we're at now. It, it's not about like which matchup is better or worse. unless I guess you'd want to say Chicago, like they're all just tough. Um, I was thinking a lot about this and I, I, I will narrow it down. I think to two teams, one would be the bucks. Um, even though I think the Cavs have had better success against the bucks than some of the other teams at the top of the East, um, I just have a heck of a lot of respect for Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and Giannis and, and even their role players. Um, Drew Holiday is the type of player who I think would give Garland a tougher time than most. Um, he's just so strong. He's going to make Garland work on defense too. So I, I think that's just a, a rough matchup. And then the Celtics are the other team that I, that might sound kind of crazy because they've came on late, but they have the best defense in the league. They're um, they're giving up I think under 104 points per game and 
when you think about what the Cavs are going to struggle to do in the playoffs, it's score. I think they can still score against some of the other teams, but you know, the Celtics just have wings for days that they can throw at Darius. And so if I had to pick one, I would probably pick the Bucks, but it's not by a lot. It's like 55, 45, probably want to avoid the bucks. And then right after them is the Celtics. And I understand the heat are an incredible team. The 76ers are a bad matchup. And, um, you know, it's, it's just tough. Like the East is just an absolute gauntlet. So I don't, to your point, I really don't want to face any of those teams, <laughs> but you got to play someone. So, um, yeah, I'd say I want to avoid the, the Milwaukee bucks, probably number one Celtics are right behind them. Number two. Yeah. And you said the East is a gauntlet. The West has the top three teams in the NBA, at least according to record. But the East, I mean, the 30 and 42 New Orleans Pelicans are currently 10th, which is, means they're in the play-in. The, the, I mean, 12 games below 500 and they're in the play-in. That's crazy. The East is just much closer, which means that it's a gauntlet. I mean, the top three seasons in the West are obviously the best teams in the NBA according to the record. But, like, the, we just brought up ways of why every team is a tough matchup. In the West, you can say – I mean, in the West, the fourth seed is the Utah Jazz. Fifth seed, Dallas Mavericks. I would I would much rather play probably those two teams than anyone in the top four in the East. Just, yeah, I mean, that's why the playoffs are going to be so – the playoffs are going to be fun either way this year just because of how there's not just one team that's just going to go out there and dominate. Maybe Phoenix just because they've been dominating all season, whether they have Chris Paul or Cam Johnson out or whatever. But just, like, there's so many teams that could win it all if they get streaky and – I guess that's a really good thing for the NBA. And it's one of the reasons why I just want the Cavs to be in the playoffs just because I want the Cavs to be part. I, as a fan of the wine and gold, I just want my team to be part of that awesomeness, I guess is a way to put it. That's a weird way to put it, but I said that anyways. Yeah. And Cavs, maybe a few, you know, uh, media credentials, you know, throw them our way. I mean, we, we've been doing this pod for gosh, a long time now. So. Yeah. The cool name with the Cavs weekly podcast will really help us out with that one too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of street cred with the, with the media passes, but no, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, I, it's hard to believe by this time next week, you know, if we do the pod again on Tuesday or Wednesday, I mean, we're going to have like what five or six games left of the season and we're going to be rolling into playoff matchup time and, you know, one or two pods here. So man, it's, it's exciting. And, um, you know, I just kind of scrolled back up to some of my notes and thinking about, you know, what we talked about already with Mobley and Darius. So no matter how like difficult or tough these potential playoff or playing matches will be, it's like, there, there's so much to be excited about. And, um, man, I, I can't wait to see what, you know, what's done throughout the rest of the season, the growth they're going to have this season and, and into the next one. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that the, the Red Lips in the finale against the Bucks is two weeks from Sunday. It seems, I mean, this season has, I don't know if it's because the Cavs are playing fun, good basketball, but it seems like this season has flown by, especially since it started in August, uh, late October. But yet, I mean, three podcasts from now, we're hopefully going to be talking playoffs. I mean, obviously we're talking playoffs now, but I'm talking about in the playoffs. Um, it's just crazy to think, by the way, as a Cavs fan, it's crazy to think that we, we're talking, we're even talking playoffs as like a legitimate thing here. Um, yeah, that's, I don't really have anything else. Do you have any other final thoughts before we get going? No, uh, I had a lot of fun looking forward to the last 10. Um, I can't wait to see what's going to happen Thursday night. The atmosphere is going to be electric and I just hope the, the guys come out ready to go. 
I hope they have a lot more energy than they did last night against the Lakers. I think they will just because they know what's on the line. They know how because they can kind of take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit and have a little bit more like wiggle room, I guess you'd say, in the standings if they win Thursday night. they I mean, we can talk about it as fans. They also know how important Thursday night is. Let's be honest. They look at the standings. They they look at the press clippings, even though we say sometimes that we don't want them to. Yeah, Thursday night's going to be fun. Saturday is going to be fun, too, especially because it's a home game. I, I'm actually really looking forward to how – one, it's a Saturday night, so should, the Rackin' Mortgage Fieldhouse should be racking. But then it's Rackin' Mortgage Fieldhouse should be racking. I promise I didn't mean to say that purposely. <laughs> um, but then it's the Bulls. I mean, that place should be sold-out crowd. It should be a playoff atmosphere, especially if the Cavs win uh, Thursday. I'm looking forward to how the home crowd is Saturday night. Maybe I'll – I was thinking about going, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, these next two games. I know the final 10 games of the regular season are important, but these next two games are going to be freaking like they like the Cavs have been all season. It's appointment television. Appointment television. You should be in front of your TV, phone, somewhere, wherever you watch your games, whether it's a sports bar, TV, whatever. Thursday night, Saturday night, must watch TV for the Cavs. And, and come join us in the waiting for next year Discord. You can see myself and many others josh is in there we're typing in all caps when they do something good i'm going nuts barking and stuff so it's a lot of fun in there so please join us in there as well the discord's a good time i don't think i've ever seen seth bark like he says but maybe join the discord and find out (laughs) but for those of you i guess looking ahead to next week which is crazy that we're going to be that by next by the time we next time we talk we're either going to have Five games left in or six games left in the regular season or seven. So next week they play Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. So my guess is that we will be with you Tuesday night, which means that they will have three games down. They'll be at Toronto versus Chicago Thursday, Saturday, like we said, and then versus Orlando on Monday night. Hopefully the next time we talk to you, they will be two wins better than they currently are. I'll gladly take three, but I hope it's two. I hope they just split Toronto, Chicago, and then beat Orlando, especially at home. I would be in a much better place if they're that's I if they go two and one in the next three next Tuesday I'm going to be I think quite happy especially depending on what else happens in the NBA. But for those of you that joined us live, we appreciate it. Whether it was Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, always comment. We featured some comments tonight. Always try to leave a comment, interact with us, ask us questions, whatever you want. For those of you listening to us, wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, I mean, there's so many different podcast apps now. Wherever you listen. Thank you. We appreciate it. We really do. Um, Yeah, we'll be back with you next Tuesday night and just watch the Cavs and hope they win. If they can win Thursday and Saturday, man, this podcast can be rocking next Tuesday night. But, yeah, we'll be back with you in a week. And as always, go Cavs. Beat the Raptors. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. 
Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.